be with the coach. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I am your host, Steve, here with Steve. Hello. And today, we're going to talk about... Well, first, let's talk about our podcast of the week, and then we'll talk about what you did without me. Yeah, well, with your permission. Well, yes, yeah. but I, you don't work. <laughs> you were on vacation. I, uh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, I paid for my vacation in advance, but... Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the podcast of the week. All right. So we're talking about shared sagas. Ah, the boys from Down Under. Yeah. I haven't listened to much of their podcast, but from what I've listened to, I like the fact that they're sort of like me and that they have ADD when it comes to games. <laughs> yeah, they play a lot of different stuff. Yeah, they bounce around a lot, and I like it, because it gives me ideas like, ooh, 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 steal that, steal that, steal that, play that, add that to the list. Also, uh, as a side, reading three RPGs at the same time is a bad time. Mm, yeah. Well, I should say, reading three very different RPGs at the same time can get confusing. I can see that. But, um, anyways, so you did an interview without me. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a problem with that, because I'm actually kind of terrible at interviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I'm not all that great myself, but I'll just talk, and for some reason, people talk with me. So, um, tell me about who you interviewed a little bit. Let's let's get into that. Well, it ended up not going quite as planned, but I, I sat down with Opti and Mr. Johnson, who are from the Neo-Anarchist and Arcology podcast, respectively, which are both Shadowrun podcasts. And then I found out a couple other things about them. One being that they, well, I guess Opti's the one who actually started it. He started his own gaming company. And, um, well, let me back this up a second. First off, yes, they're both massively into Shadowrun. They both actually work as freelancers for Catalyst Game Labs. And in addition to doing all that, there's going to be a lot of links in the show notes this week, folks, because these people do lots and lots of cool stuff. But uh, yeah, they're on about four or five different podcasts, a couple of YouTube channels. But in addition to all that, Opti decided to start his own game company called Fragging Unicorn Games. Well, their main product, and we talk about it a little bit in the interview, but um, if you really want to hear about it, because it's a, a mini skirmish game, and I don't know a ton about minis. Just that's me. Yeah, I heard I heard the guys over at Squad Tactica talk to him about it. Yeah, so I actually I hooked him up with Squad Tactica and and that interview actually dropped. Well, when you hear this it'll be last week. Yeah, at the time of recording it it just dropped today. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's really cool. I, you know, honestly kind of like you, I didn't have any frame of reference when it came to uh, Shadowrun. Mhm. Mm and you know, I've listened to your interview. I haven't made it the whole way through, but I've listened to the interview, and I can tell you that it's it's going to be an interesting one. They bring up some good points, and yeah, basically talking about Shadowrun, which is a game system that the setting never piqued my interest enough to grab, 
But hearing them talk about it, I can completely understand why people were interested in it. Oh, yeah. The setting, I mean, it is, the game's currently on its sixth edition, but the lore has maintained from when it first came out in 89 all the way through currently. So, I mean, the, the lore for this game has been built over, you know, 30 plus years now, and it's really rich and it's really detailed. And then actually, there's a fantasy game based off of long before Shadowrun called Earthdawn, which we mentioned a time or two. But in any case, like I said, we were, I was supposed to sit down with both of them. Well, due to something, uh, you know, confusion. We usually call that shenanigans. <laughs> yes. Well, I think we've tried to blame the Technomancers for this one. Okay. Mr. Johnson wasn't there when we were going to start. So like, well, you know, okay. Opti and I were like, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll message him. Well, he messaged him and nothing. So we start about, oh, I don't know, 45 minutes in, he pops in. And so we just kind of kept going and then Opti had to leave. And so I finished out talking with, with Mr. Johnson about, well, I'm going in circles here, but so they have this minis game coming out. That's called Gangs of the Undercity. They're also, their next kind of big project is an RPG in the same world as this minis game called Subversion, which sounds really, really cool. Uh, you'll hear about it in the interview. And so I was talking with, with both of them about that. And then after Opti left, I uh, ended up talking with Mr. Johnson some more about another side project he has going, which is actually kind of loosely based off of Morkborg. So, uh, I think y'all find this really entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the interview. All right, folks. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about a game that's been around for quite a long time. It's a game called Shadowrun. Originally came out, I believe, in 1989. And here to talk with me today about it is someone who's been around the game for quite a long time, does some podcasting, and I believe also does some writing work for it. Joined today by Opti. Hello. Thanks for having me, Steve. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure to have someone on who who knows something about a game that, well, I've been aware of it for quite some time. I've never actually gotten the chance to play, although I believe I did build an Earth Dawn character once <laughs> in something like 1996. You were, you were getting close. You were approaching <laughs> Shadowrun. <laughs> So yeah, I, I like Shadowrun so much that I created a Shadowrun lore podcast, uh, and then I created a Shadowrun actual play podcast, and somewhere along the line started working for Catalyst Game Labs and writing Shadowrun, writing some of the splat books, and uh, even became a developer on Shadowrun 6th World Edition, which just recently came out, I think, last year. So yeah, Shadowrun is uh, is now in my blood. I'm I'm all in it, and uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sort of a soft ambassador for all things uh, Shadowrun and cyberpunk fantasy. Excellent, excellent. I mean, that's that's kind of what we were looking for because part of what we want to do as a podcast is is show people other games and other settings and and so forth that's out there. And you know, like I I told you when we were chatting before we started recording, you know, I. Both myself and the other Steve were both big fans of Cyberpunk 2020 or or now Red. Sure. But Shadowrun is a game that has, I believe, within months of the same heritage as far as time since development and probably has a significant amount more published for it. Oh, yeah. Shadowrun, at one point in the last few years, was the number three RPG, I think, that was selling. I mean, of course, now things are much, much different. The The landscape has shifted. 
but yeah, Shadowrun has been pretty popular for, for quite a long time. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the pitch that I used to hear back in, back in the mid nineties was, well, it's cyberpunk with magic, but I think as with anything, if, if that's your quick pitch, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than just that. Absolutely. So yes, cyberpunk slash fantasy is the, the easiest way to say it, but you've got near future fictional universe, cybernetics, magic, fantasy creatures, orcs, elves, dwarfs, you know, that sort of stuff. Urban fantasy, you've got crime, you've got noir, conspiracy, horror, you know, detective stuff. I mean, it's it's basically one of my friends who also writes for Shadowrun, Russell Zimmerman, he likes to say that any movie that Keanu Reeves has been in, you can do in Shadowrun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Well, considering, you know, I spent an episode not too long ago discussing Kevin Costner in post-apocalyptic movies, I guess it fits. So, I mean, I guess as someone who's who's very familiar with it, is there a quick elevator pitch to Shadowrun other than what you just described? Uh, yeah, I would say something like in Shadowrun, you, uh, you take the role of Shadowrunners who basically do illegal or quasi-legal things for money, but you also uh, subvert the corporations that are hiring you to do these jobs. Uh, and along the way, you're going to use your your team and your magic and your uh, cybernetics to get the job done. Okay. So it's in some ways leverage with, say, Dresden files tacked on? That is, yeah. And, you know, a little bit of the Matrix, a little bit of Lord of the Rings, and a little bit of leverage. That sounds about right. Yeah. Fair enough. So, I mean, I guess maybe, where do you think we ought to start? Should we discuss a little bit of the system before we get into lore? Because if you're used to, be it Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or most other games, I'm familiar enough with the game to know that it is mechanically not really all that similar to any of those. Uh, Correct. Now, I will say this, that, <laughs> and again, I think my my Shadowrun love credentials are on the table, so I <laughs> uh, hope, hope nobody shoots me for saying this, but nobody plays Shadowrun because of the system. <laughs> uh, people play Shadowrun because the world and the lore are so fantastic. So we can talk about the system, and we can talk about some of the cool stuff it does. Uh, we could even talk about some of the issues, but just know that the 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 system has been getting critique since first edition. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And and as a confessed fan of the Rifts world, um, if you're familiar at all with that, the feeling is familiar. Sure. I love that world, but the system gives me headaches. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I basically my knowledge of Shadowrun is that it is a D6 dice pool system. And you need a whole lot of D6 to play it. Correct. You will essentially, the basic mechanic of the game is that you will be rolling a number of dice equal to your attribute plus your skill. And then fives or sixes will be hits. So you you can sometimes like say you have a uh, seven in your strength, and you know, this is a bad example because 6th edition doesn't do this anymore, but you, uh, you have a, a 7 in strength and a 7 in uh, melee skill, you'll be rolling 14 dice, and that's before any other of bonuses that you might get from other things. So yeah, you, you, can, you can roll upwards of 20 dice fairly easily on any given roll in Shadowrun. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, you know, of course, if it's an opposed roll, then your opponent's also rolling you know, so many dice and, and it, it can get a little bit clackily on the table. 
Yeah, well, you know, though it doesn't sound, at least on, on that particular thing, though, unlike some games where there's a lot of, of math involved, you're not actually totaling up the dice. You're just looking to see which one's got, as you said, five or higher. So it's not as math heavy as even, say, Dungeons & Dragons, where you're adding up a bunch of numbers. You're just going, oh, this is higher, this is higher, this is higher, and I've got one, two, three, four, five of them. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it can get a little bit complicated, like it has a lot of different systems in it beyond the, the basic system. So, for example, if you want it to be a hacker, which are called Deckers and Shadowrun, that is a completely other minigame with its own different rules and its own sort of system of doing things. Also uses the same basic system, but you have to learn a whole new vocabulary and you know, it sort of takes the the Decker away from the table for a while while everybody else, the joke is like, you know, if when it's the Decker's turn, everybody else is going to go out for pizza. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, you know, it, it can be a little bit complicated, but the dice rolling part is not the complicated part. Yeah. Now, just to, to go off down a little tangent here, because, well, that's what we do. But the one critique I've heard a lot about Cyberpunk 2020, and I've heard it from myself to boot, is that the, and you just alluded to it, is that the decking or net running is rather complicated but my contention, at least with Cyberpunk 2020, was partially because this game was written before the internet as we know it now was a thing. So yeah. it, it's not just trying to mechanize something that very few people are going to talk openly about, but it's also trying to create an entertaining game out of something that you don't really have a frame of reference for. Yeah, I think Shadowrun did the exact same thing. Cyberpunk has the benefit of not having so many editions and so many books, uh, you know, in between then and now. But I, from what I understand, and I haven't seen Cyberpunk Red uh, up close, but it is it is a more streamlined version than Shadowrun's uh, hacking system, which again is just sort of always a bugbear, <laughs> right? It's a it's a system that that has grown and has fiction around it, and it's hard to change now that you know sixth editions worth of of baggage is coming with it so yeah it's it's i think in both of the games i agree with you they suffer from a sort of late 80s idea of what hacking and and computer will computers networks will be yeah trying to predict the future that has become ubiquitous but wasn't there to right trying to trying to take something that's very mundane to us and make it somehow more exciting like in leverage you know i mean like it was you know the, the hacker was never going into cyberspace right like hacking has become just so different than what we expected so yeah it's uh it's an interesting thing yeah very much so so i mean i guess yeah it's kind of a a side thing you know but again i you know i've said before i don't think you can fault games for using the frame of reference of when they were written. It's just what was, and that's all you can work with. Yeah. That being said, to, to dive back into a little more system-wise, now, you know, you have games like, you know, D&D &D and Pathfinder or whatever are very much class-based games and tend to be, I would say, much more focused on your attributes of your character, where you have other games like, say, Call of Cthulhu or in the case of Cyberpunk 2020, where I think they, they focus much more on your skills and are not as class-driven. Where does Shadowrun fall in, in that sort of frame? Uh, Shadowrun has... It's not a class-based system at all. It is a very skill-based system. But 
Having said that, there are archetypes that Shadowrun assumes that you will have. So, for example, if you don't have a decker, there's going to be a, a huge portion of the game that you your team doesn't have access to. If you don't have a mage or a shaman on your team, you know you're going to run into problems. If you don't have a a street samurai or an adept, you know you're not going to be able to to handle the fighting bits as much. So, Shadowrun does assume that somewhere along the line, no matter what skills your people take, they will be taking skills that allow them to fill certain roles. So what I'm sounding like is, is, so to speak, you have almost careers or paths, if you will, that the characters follow that this guy specializes in this kind of thing and this guy specializes in this kind of thing. And yeah. if you don't have that specialization, you don't have access to the the finer points of that, we'll say. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. So, for example, if you don't have a Decker, then any sort of Matrix runs, right, any sort of hacking runs or any sort of runs that require a decker to turn the cameras off or erase the footage right you're just you're just going to be a little bit behind the eight ball and likewise if you run into some magical enemies and you don't have anybody who can counter that magic on your team it's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for you so without a decker you have to go to the han solo communications disabling route <laughs> exactly yes <laughs> lots of boring conversations anyway right <laughs> Do we maybe next go to, do you want to give like a quick overview of, of what these archetypes are? I mean, I, I know some of them, you know, from what you've mentioned here, you know, you've got your street samurai, your decker, your adept, you know, and so on. But again, I, I don't know Shadowrun itself all that well. Sure. So essentially the archetypes, uh, depending on, you know, exactly what edition you're going for also might include some of the the races as well so in Shadowrun you have humans elves orcs dwarfs and trolls those are the basic five races in Shadowrun and then your your character will be put together uh, ideally so that you can hit a bunch of different archetypes so for example you have a street samurai which is sort of one of the the main three archetypes of the game. And a street samurai is somebody who has lots of cyberware, uh, but they also have a sort of code that they live by. So they can kick a lot of ass, but they don't kick everyone's ass, right? They're, they're sort of, that's where the samurai part comes from. You also have deckers, which use cyber decks to do the hacking. You have street mages who use hermetic magic uh, to, to do their thing. You have street shamans, who sort of focus on a more connected to the earth or connected to a, a totem sort of magic. You have riggers who are similar to deckers, but they focus more on drones and jacking into vehicles and those sort of things. You also have adepts, which uh, are sort of physical mages. They channel their magic into doing certain feats physically. You can have physical adepts like a sword adept or a gun adept were just you know really really good magically good at those certain things and i think rounding those out you would have a face who is basically like if you remember a team right face uh or uh in leverage sophie would be a sort of face so those are the basic archetypes and, and you've got some other ones too you know sort of secondary archetypes like smugglers but yeah those are the those are the main ones Okay. So now clearly party concept is going to play a, a pretty big role in a game of this, I would assume, and that there are certain, be it, you know, you need muscle 
muscle, a face, and then some of this other stuff, you know, like you mentioned, the, uh, the Deckers, perhaps not for, for every game or every campaign, but it's one of those things that, look, if we're going to play games about future and, and computers and a wild, crazy internet, why wouldn't you want to play that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you don't have any magic characters and if you don't have any Deckers, your game is going to be a very limited game for what you can bring you know, to from the Shadowrun world. The Shadowrun world is vast, uh, so you're essentially cutting yourself off. Or if you just want to kill your party, that's, I guess, <laughs> you could do that too. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, I guess, so, like, is there, does, does Shadowrun then, from playing it at the table, does it work better maybe with a little bit larger group and more diverse roles? Or is it more where you just kind of, when you're getting ready to play, you need to go, okay, we want to cover this base, this base, this base, and this base, because that'll let us have the most fun. Well, I can never follow my own advice. So all of my games end up blowing up to you know, six or seven or eight people. But I think Shadowrun works pretty well with four players. And I think that what happens when you have four players is the characters end up doing a little bit of double duty. So mm-hmm. you have a sort of combo street samurai and Decker, or you have a combination shaman who can also be a face, you know, those sort of things. So as long as you have all of the skills represented, the archetypes don't matter as much as long as you can sort of fill in where where necessary. Which actually, it, you know, if I'm being honest, characters sort of come out of character generation as the characters they're going to be. There's not a whole lot of growth in Shadowrun characters because it's so expensive to, to grow beyond, to grow in what you're good at. But you can... As you grow your character, you can pick up new skills because new skills are really cheap. So that's sort of how it plays out. You go on a run, you realize, oh, shoot, uh, that went really badly because we didn't have X. And so you'll spend the next couple of sessions in downtime getting X just so that you you know aren't caught with your pants down during the next run. OK, that sounds that sounds reasonable. So back to uh, mechanics a little bit then. Now, what I gather then. And and this goes with what vaguely sticks in my memory is Shadowrun is then also is not a level-based game at all. Correct. There is one small asterisk, uh, and that is magic-based characters can sort of level up. You know, they they have initiation rituals, right? And they become level one initiates or level two initiates. But it's nothing like leveling up in D&D or Pathfinder, those traditional class-based games yet. It's much more simulationist than than those other games, yeah. Okay. Right, which, again, I think goes back to that, that late 80s, 90s heritage where you had D&D and a whole bunch of games that were trying to be very simulationist, and some of them have survived and some didn't. Sure. So I guess then for a lot of people, it's fairly easy to imagine the tech stuff given the amount of it that's in movies and so forth. But But generally speaking, magic systems... I mean, in my experience, you know, they vary tremendously from from role playing game to role playing game. So, and it sounds yeah. like with Shadowrun, you're saying that there's almost two completely separate magic systems here too, and that you've got your 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 mages sounds almost like it's it's more of a stereotypical arcane magic, and then you have a more I think you mentioned shamans, which I, I'm guessing is much more of a naturalistic, maybe even some Native American flavor to it? Is that at all correct? Yeah, so it it does have a, well, I should say traditionally had a Native American flavor to it. 
Um, I think they sort of realized over the last couple of decades that just simply taking what they want from Native American culture unapologetically, just using the cool stuff that they like and the way that it looks, um, you know, without sort of giving any further thought to how that's received, uh, that's sort of falling out of out of favor. I think probably probably for good. But earlier in in the Shadowrun editions one, two, three, there was a big split between shamanic magic and hermetic magic. But in fourth edition and in fifth edition, that sort of got flattened out. So there's not really much mechanical difference at all between the different styles of magic, other than what attributes you use to resist the the backlash when you use magic. So if you're a hermetic, you might use logic uh, instead of charisma, but that's really mostly a, a, a cosmetic difference. Shamans tend to be a certain thing, right? Role-playing wise, just have a different feel for it. But mechanically, there's not a whole lot of difference, which as you may or may not imagine, certain fans have opinions on both sides. <laughs> Really, fans have different opinions on something, <laughs> right? But but I should say, you know, that magic in Shadowrun avoids a lot of the magic problems of some other games. Like in a in that in other games, you have things like wish, right, where you just get what you want. Shadowrun sort of avoids that by making magic very down to earth. Mm-hmm. But having said that, down the line, you absolutely can break you break the world using Shadowrun magic the same as you can in any other game. It's a game. And so if you look hard enough, there's going to be ways to break it. Yep. Okay. So we have a game that system-wise is is maybe not the most user-friendly, but is is doable. Doesn't yeah. require a ton of math, which I know for some people is a real big put off. So I guess then, and, and you alluded to this, but you know, th- this world clearly is is very developed and has a lot of history going back, you know, as I joked about it, but I, I do know enough to know that in the official Shadowrun canon, the old Earth Dawn game is actually set in the same universe just a long time ahead. But in any case, being as this is your specialty, I'm going to stop babbling and let you kind of take off on this because I don't know nearly what you do. <laughs> so, yes, the Shadowrun lore is is absolutely incredible. It is a fantastic world to play in. But essentially what you have is the, the basis for the system. And as you alerted, alluded to, Earth Dawn, an RPG, is basically set in the fourth world to Shadowrun's sixth world. And the idea behind the different worlds is that magic sort of ebbs and flows in and out of our universe. So during high tides of magic, you will have these races sort of reappear and you'll have magic reappear. Uh, and then when magic goes away, the the magic, as the magic retreats, you'll have people not be able to do magic anymore. And these orcs and elves and dwarfs and trolls will sort of hide themselves again, at least biologically as humans. So that's the basis and then uh, you know, tying that together with the, the the infamous Mayan calendar, right, which said that the world was going to end in 2012. That was when sh- the magic returned to the world in Shadowrun. So the world did end, right, the fifth world, and now we're in the sixth world. And so magic returned, all of the, the different religions and the different sort of magic ideas in the world all turned out to be true all at once. And elves and, and orcs and dwarfs and trolls returned to the world and it caused a tremendous amount of upheaval. 
And one of the great things that Shadowrun did is filled in a lot of really, really neat stuff between 2012 and 2000, 2050 when the initial role-playing game was set. And then ever since then, I think the meta game, the meta narrative, the meta plot stuff has just been really, really fun, really, really engaging. And uh, you have all these corporations, for example, have replaced nations as the most important arbiters of power. So you've got the big 10 mega corporate conglomerates that basically run everything on the planet. You've got another sort of, sort of subplot where as the magic increases in the world, these alien demons from another plane of existence find it easier to cross over into our world. And so there's always that threat of sort of chthonic horror that's just like sort of always in the background. And then I think when Shadowrun is at its best, instead of you just getting a team together to go be mercenaries, you have an idea of, of being punk, right? You have an idea of fighting back against these impersonal faceless forces that are forcing you to act as as drones and do what they want. And the punk aspect of, of the cyberpunk is basically you saying, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to fight you all the way down. That's fair. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that I that I always find intriguing with anything with the, you know, being tagged as as cyberpunk or, or anything punk is is the. I don't even know what the right word is, but the, the, the difference in take on what that means, you know, cause I mean, just to say cyberpunk, I mean, in, in my mind, that's a lot of what that means to me is, is more of a RoboCop two, you know, flickering fluorescence and, and so on where some people see it as much more of a, a, you know, can't think of a, a good movie reference wise, but much more of a glitzy sci-fi with a gritty element to it, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I definitely have very strong feelings about, about cyberpunk as a genre. And my personal thought is I'm not going to tell somebody what's cyberpunk and what's not, but I will say that there is a, a sort of brand of cyberpunk that is just about like grim and gritty future stuff and sort of transhumanism. And, and it's more about style over substance. And that is not my favorite part of, of mm -hmm. cyberpunk. My favorite part of cyberpunk is the looming realization of what dangers lie ahead of us if we keep going the direction we're going leading to mega corporate takeovers, leading to the continued monetization of people's bodies, the replacement of parts, not because you you want to do that, but because it will make you more efficient, right? It's, it's basically turning people into machines because that has how the society devalues them. That's how society treats people is as machines. So I like that side which says no we're not going to do that we're going to rebel against that and we're going to we're going to sort of work to take down that monstrosity right that devalues people but again you know i i like the aesthetic but i think the cyberpunk aesthetic that just that just sees the sort of neon uh late 80s futurism as the point of cyberpunk uh is not something that i particularly am interested in yeah no that's fair if it's just that i suppose i should say yeah, well, I guess that's yeah. I'm 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 yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying, and and I feel a lot the same way. Like there is so much in the genre that that it's well, you know, to to quote 
sorry to bring it, you know, another game reference into this from a different brand, but you know, Mike Pondsmith that look, this game was written as a warning, not an objective. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's one thing I did want to ask because coming from, from a background of, of the Artalsorian cyberpunk games where the world itself is pretty bleak in a lot of ways where, yeah, you're, you may be fighting to, to scratch out an existence for yourself and, and your crew is the the meta narrative or or whatever with Shadowrun is there so to speak is it just struggling to to have a nice dinner next week or is there legitimate hope that you can affect meaningful change for more than your immediate circle I guess is the best way to put it uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I have strong feelings about that too. Not that every game has to have that, but I am more interested in games that will allow you to affect meaningful change. Unfortunately, I don't think Shadowrun as it's designed in the broad strokes of the metal plot, Shadowrun doesn't really allow you to do that. It's sort of designed to be session by session, right? Around you getting a job from a Mr. Johnson uh, or a fixer and doing the job. It doesn't sort of lead you in any direction beyond that, which ends up being sort of a D&D mentality where it's just, I'm in it for the experience, I'm in it for the money, and just show me the next job. So any sort of meaningful change has to come from your GM and you wanting to do that because it's just not baked in that you'll be able to affect the lore as it marches on. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, I do have I do have strong feelings about that because I think that does lead to a sort of grinding negativity about the world. But yeah, again, not every game has to <laughs> has to be that, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, no, but I, I get what you're saying because uh, it does. And I never thought about it specifically from the angle you just brought up. But to to bring it back to the kind of meta gaming perspective, if all you're doing is, so to speak, the next job to get more money and maybe a little bit better skill and it's just wash, rinse, repeat, it does right. become very much of the, the the tunnel grinding that so many people have, have grown tired with classic dungeon crawling Dungeons and Dragons or whatever game it is. Yep. You know, it's the same thing, but just with a different skin. And it is to me, like you said, it's more f- more fun if there's something beyond just that right i i do appreciate it's one of the things i've been exploring you know late i think we're going to talk about that in a bit but yeah one of the things i've been exploring more lately is what could there possibly be as a goal for the characters beyond just getting more money getting better stuff getting getting stronger physically yeah well to to throw it in in movies you know like been thinking for whatever reason lately about a, a couple of different movies uh specifically four brothers and the Nicolas cage version of gone in 60 seconds and like four brothers okay it's this if you will to, to use some of the language we were just using it's very much kind of a punk story right where sure. oh we're fighting the the corrupt cops and the bad you know the bad guys and whatever but in the end well, one of them dies and the rest of them get to have Thanksgiving dinner and that's it. All right. Gone in 60 seconds is a little bit more of a a big picture story in a lot of ways where you've got the narrative of, you know, Nicolas Cage's character coming back to something he left to help out a family member and it kind of glimpses at the end that maybe through this whole process that they've 
decided, you know, hey, let's not be the, I don't want to say not be the punks, but but that we can rise above somewhat. Right. Yeah. There's a, a little bit more of a, uh, if not honor among thieves, at least a sort of something more than just selfish action. Something yeah. more than just being a mercenary, I suppose. Uh, the contrast is like the Matrix movie, right? You've got a basic, I mean, it's an incredibly cyberpunk setting, but you know, at the end of the first Matrix movie, you have Neo deciding, like, I'm going to fix this. Like, I'm going to do something about this. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's a sort of, that's a sort of, I guess Shadowrun doesn't have heroes is maybe the best way to say it, <laughs> right? You're all mercenaries and you can rebel, but it's all a sort of personal rebellion, not necessarily a rebellion against everything. No, that's actually, I think that's a very good way to put it is that, well, you might be somewhat heroic. You're not big damn heroes for the setting. Right. Yeah. And that's maybe the first, the first and biggest difference people will notice between coming from Dungeon Dragons for example, to Shadowrun, is that you're just not heroes. Your characters can absolutely die. And, you know, and if you see a dragon, don't think like, oh, good, here's my chance. Run the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've heard, and I actually saw this bumper sticker once, when I'm told it, it comes from Shadowrun, and the saying on the bumper sticker was, do not meddle in the affairs of dragons, for you are crunchy and good with ketchup. <laughs> uh, Shadowrun has a similar one. Uh, it's... Uh, shoot straight, conserve ammo, and never ever deal with a dragon. Okay, sort of uh, Shadowrun proper. Fair enough. Now we've talked about a lot of editions here. Am I correct to understand that Shadowrun is currently on its sixth edition, which I believe came out what about a year and a half ago at Gen Con in twenty nineteen? Yep, twenty nineteen. Uh, it's Shadowrun sixth world edition, uh, which I think is just a play on the the sixth world uh, from the lore. Yeah. Okay. So 2013 was 5th edition. Also, as I understand it, the way they advance in-world time is essentially that it is 60 years and 6 months from the time that any given book was published is when it's set in-world time. Yeah, I you know generally just say 61 years, but yeah, you're right. It's um, basically advances in the lore for every year it advances in real life. Add 61 to the year that we're in. And you've got the year in Shadowrun. Okay. Which means that it's been it's been going on continuously from 2050, which started back in 1989, to a now I think it's 2082 in Shadowrun. Okay. I guess one thing I did want to ask you about, and maybe if things I've heard are correct, you might have even a little more insight on this. I've heard that there is a alternate system version of Shadowrun out there called Shadowrun Anarchy. Yeah, I actually have worked on all three of those, all three of those books. Or I say all three of them. There's only two of them out. Uh, <laughs> there's another <laughs> uh, Shadowrun Anarchy book coming out that's set in the 2050s. But yeah, Shadowrun Anarchy is a we call it rules light or more narrative. But if you if you compare it to other rules light or narrative games, it's it's not <laughs> it's not as rules light or narrative as the ones that are properly labeled that. But compared to Shadowrun normal editions of Shadowrun, it is more rules light and more narrative using, you know, plot points and things like that and kind of keeping everything much more simple. But yeah, it, it, that came out uh, man, when did that come out? 2000 and maybe 2017 maybe. Now, does that interface with the regular Shadowrun stuff, like for you to be able to use, because again, in my experience with, with most of these cyberpunk genre games, gear, et cetera, plays a huge part. And thus splat books 
are a real thing to anyone who's who's into that kind of gaming. Do the regular Shadowrun splat books in any way apply to Anarchy, or is a lot of that kind of abstracted for that application? So you have a number of different kinds of splat books for Shadowruns, because some of them are just purely lore. And those, are, or, or really any lore, no matter what the book, from Shadowrun can be used for Anarchy, right? Because Anarchy and, and normal Shadowrun take place in the same world, you know, all the same stuff. We have things that happen, you know, in metaplot-wise in Shadowrun Anarchy that apply to the normal Shadowrun world. So all of it is, you know, is the same world. But none of the mechanical bits of the main Shadowrun games or the main Shadowrun editions will apply to Anarchy and vice versa. So yeah, they're two completely separate mechanical things, but the same shared universe. Fair enough. So I I would assume then that that Anarchy would be a bit more new gamer friendly than probably. Uh, it really depends, but yeah, in general, we have people who are are coming from D and D who find Anarchy easier. People who've played more narrative games find Anarchy easier, and people who have been playing Shadowrun a long time and just are tired of the fiddly bits of, of Shadowrun, but love the world, find Anarchy to their liking as well. Now, it is not for everybody. I myself, I'm not necessarily somebody who gravitates first towards more narrative games and rules-like games. I like them, but I like normal Shadowrun just fine as well. So I think traditionally, your your traditional gamers like the crunch of Shadowrun. You know, the crunchy gamers like the crunchy part of Shadowrun. But yeah, if you're just looking for something to kind of grab and have fun with, Shadowrun Anarchy is a pretty easy way to do to get into the world. That's fair. I guess part of where I was angling is I've heard this, you know, I, I would level this criticism at, at at Riffs, which I've mentioned, you know, earlier in our conversation. I've also heard it leveled very much at the most recent edition of Warhammer Fantasy, the role-playing game, is that the rules and so forth are involved enough that they, without coming right out and saying it, they kind of beg to be really almost your only game. They're the game that you focus on. And in my personal experience, games like that, as we as gamers move from being college students who we didn't have to do that sleep thing. Right. As we move into adulthood where we've got jobs and families and just so many other things that need more of our time, those games, while we still, we love the settings and the worlds and but the mechanics, and, and if you're the type of person who wants to play more than one specific game, they just, to keep them from being very sloggy at the table, they can only be your only game. And so they just don't work if you want to play other stuff. Does that happen with normal Shadowrun, we'll say, or is it not quite that demanding? No, I think, I think, that's, I think that's pretty accurate. Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to say that it, it has to be fiddly. I don't want to say that like, you have to devote so much time to it. But certainly you, I'll say it this way. You can show up at a game, right? And if your GM knows the system backward and forward, then everybody else doesn't have to. But I'll also say that from a GM's perspective, that having players that don't know the system well makes GMing a lot more difficult and less fun. And the people that I've played with who aren't all in on Shadowrun hardly ever know the rules well. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think exactly what you're saying is true. 
and anarchy does fix that because it, it's just it's a lot simpler. I mean, I guess that that was kind of the question I was looking to ask was that for for someone like say myself, where you know, yeah, I I mean, the world sounds great and, and I'd love, but you know, I I really don't want to spend three weeks reading the core book, and then you know, I also end up because in a lot of cases I'm the one who wants to play the less common game. So well okay you want to play it you're running it so now i'm absorbing right. you know i mean how many different systems and like yeah if, if i've got to dedicate a ton of time to learn to it to be able to run it it makes it less a less attractive option for me i guess is the best way to put it but it sounds like right. shadow run anarchy might be really fun be able to get some people to play without going okay well so you need to know this and this and this and 10 minutes later okay yeah so pick up those dice and roll to hit yeah, for, I mean, for Anarchy, pretty much everything you need is on a character sheet, right? You don't need mm -hmm. to come back and reference other parts of the book very often. Uh, with Shadowrun, the normal editions, that's absolutely not the case. You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's an ar archetype that I forgot to mention called a Technomancer. And these are people that, uh, hackers that don't need to use cyberdex. They can just use their mind, you know, for whatever quirk of biology. And and not only do you have a separate mini game for hacking, but then also technomancers have a completely separate set of vocabulary just for them, right? So what they do is called tasking, uh, and they can summon little sprites, which are kind of like spirits, but they're called sprites, and you have to compile them, and you have different rules for what you can do. You know, it, it's like it's all just sort of so much extra that, like, as a GM, frankly, I left off technomancers because I don't, I don't like technomancers. I don't want to have to do. <laughs> all of that extra vocabulary and to keep it in my mind, you know, just to, to play a game where it might come up, you know, once every, every other set. So yeah, uh, Anarchy finds that out and just says, Hey, this is what you can do. Here's it's right here on your character sheet. That way your GM doesn't have to keep everything in their mind. No, that sounds, sounds pretty fair. So I guess sounds like we've, we've kind of gone through and done a pretty good overview of this. Is there anything more, you knowing the game and the world, is there anything more you, you think we need to add on to this to, to give people a a good overview of, of what Shadowrun is? And if you want to play this kind of thing, this is a game you want to look at. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking for a new RPG, you're not going to be blown away by Shadowrun's elegant system. But if you are looking for a world to inhabit, there's an old Super Nintendo game called Shadowrun. There's a Sega Genesis game called Shadowrun. And, and more recently, there's been a number of computer games by Harebrained Schemes, Shadowrun Returns, Shadowrun Dragonfall, and Shadowrun Hong Kong. And just playing those will give you an incredible sense of just how captivating this world is and how much effort and care has been put into creating a world that is just so engaging with all sorts of things that you've come to love from all sorts of different RPGs. So I can't say enough about how cool the world is and how many cool stories have been told in it. So if you're looking for something like that and you, and you absolutely are looking for an RPG that has a fully developed world that you can almost do anything in, then Shadowrun is absolutely worth checking out. Excellent. Excellent. So I guess that kind of wraps that part of it up. And do know through through various things, I had had been made aware of, of you through your podcasting, which uh, you mentioned, and perhaps you'd 
like to talk a little bit about that. But I also, through us being introduced, found out that you were also behind a marketing campaign that I saw a lot of on Twitter, oh, probably about six months ago. So if you would like to kind of expand on where people can find more of you and your other work or what all you're involved in, if you would like to talk about that for a bit, be more than happy to listen. Uh, absolutely. We have, um, <laughs> I guess the thing that I'm most well known for is doing uh, a podcast called the Neo Anarchist Podcast. And that is an in-character Shadowrun lore podcast where you turn on the first episode and it'll give you the first moment that the Shadowrun universe diverged from our own. And then it goes year by year and kind of tells you everything that's happening uh, and everything that happened in the Shadowrun universe. So that's that's pretty excellent. People tend to like that. So I would encourage you if you uh, are interested in the world of Shadowrun and you don't really want to play video games, then you could listen to that and it'll fill you in on everything that you might need to know to get into the world. Uh, we also have a Shadowrun actual play podcast called Shadowrun Origins, where we are running games set in the 2050s during the first edition of Shadowrun. So there's some iconic runs and iconic NPCs that we interact with back then. And that's a lot of great fun. But yeah, you said uh, six months ago, uh, you saw what we were doing all over the place. And that's because we started our own gaming company called Fragging Unicorns Games. And we launched our Kickstarter, very successful Kickstarter, which I'm grateful for, for our first game called Gangs of the Undercity, which is it's a, a cyberpunk fantasy miniatures game that is set in, not in Shadowrun, but in a world similar to Shadowrun called Neo Babylon. And uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that went really well. And it uh, should be fulfilling within the next month or so. So we're super excited to have that first offering, and uh, we've got some other cool stuff on the horizon. An RPG called Subversion is our next project after we're uh, able to fulfill Gangs of the Undercity. Oh, wow. Now, I, I have to be completely honest. Here would be Mr. Johnson joining us. Apparently, his contacts didn't uh, didn't inform him of things properly. Technomancers. <laughs> we blame everything on technomancers. <laughs> Yes, my feed has been edited by Technomancers, so I, I'm not quite sure how that happened. We were just plugging our stuff, so, so give the plug for all of the cool stuff that you do, Shadowrun-related. Yes. Yeah, well, there's the Arcology podcast, which uh, started about five years ago with my wife, uh, who goes by the uh, nom de plume Vox, or CZ Wright, uh, as she'll be found in the credits of many a Shadowrun published publication. But yeah, uh, the Arcology podcast has been a podcast sort of a, about Shadowrun, but also an actual play to go with it. So we have episodes where we talk about the game and the setting, the game mechanics, uh, books as they come out in some cases, not all of them. And then we have, I think, I think, I, I think we can lay claim to having the longest running Shadowrun actual play in podcasting mm -hmm. as far as campaigns goes. It's been going for for a long time. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually have, have listened to some of your podcasts, probably very early parts of the feed, uh, where I want to say, did you start by kind of started going over the basics of 5th edition, maybe? Yeah, we started the, the podcast not long after 5th edition came out. Yeah, I, I did listen to a, a bit of your work then, uh, right up until I believe the first episode or two of the actual plays you started releasing. And then I don't even know what happened to my attention span. and. <laughs> I think it kind of became one of those things where 
I realized with the group of people I was currently playing games with that I was never going to convince them to run Shadowrun. And so like, well, as much as I was enjoying it, maybe I could find something that I could convince them to run. Yeah, I I think I've 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 often been the person among the gaming group that's been, "Hey, let's try out this thing or that thing." And uh, most people just kind of wanted to put their feet down and just keep playing whatever it is they already know. Uh, that's a that's a strong tide to uh to fight against. Oh, it is. I'm not sure what the answer is really. I think it's just to play things with people and have fun and see what you can sneak in when you can. <laughs> And also maybe uh, find some other people who are willing to try more things. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, if if nothing else, maybe, you know, a silver lining in, in this whole COVID situation is that because people are forced to move online, it is easier to find some people that are willing to do something outside of what you normally do. You know, I think so. But anecdotally, I've also heard of a lot of people who have just not gotten back together to game and are waiting for this to be over because a large number of their gaming group just won't play online. Maybe they've tried it and they didn't like it, or maybe they just refuse to even try it. So I, I feel a little bit stymied by by that sort of uh, uh, thing when I see it, because I've just had such a great experience playing games online with people. I've been doing it for years now, not because of isolation, but because you know the people that I play with are scattered around the country or in some cases, other countries. I haven't played a ton online, but I've also been kind of fortunate in that where I'm at, the restrictions and the general situation hasn't been too bad. But even that, we we took a good eight or nine months where we didn't meet. But yeah, online is, it's a different feel than sitting around a table and it does require a little bit of acclimation, if nothing else. Yeah, you're right. It is a different experience and yeah, apparently not for everybody. Though I do urge everyone to at least try it out and give it a fair shot because because it's a great way to connect with people that you might not otherwise have the ability to to connect with for lots of reasons, even not during a pandemic. Yeah, exactly. And I know some people through other podcasts, whatever, that they play a lot of much, much lesser known indie titles and whatnot and or because of, you know, where they live geographically, it's it's not feasible to play in person or or find games in the specific game you want to play. And so the internet has, has been something like you said, you know, that they've just done because that's how they did it. That is absolutely one of the major pros of the internet is being able to connect with other people who share interests. I think that that's clearly, clearly a significant benefit that uh, we, I certainly didn't have access to in my youth though. I, I tried to, and I, I, sort of got into Shadowrun and met my first gaming group that introduced me to Shadowrun through a dial-up bulletin board system that was local to my, my small town that I lived near. See, I, I remember the old bulletin board uh, message servers back when I was in college. Spent a lot of time on some of those. But in any case, you know, unfortunately, you know, due to technomancer issues or you... you <laughs> I will blame myself. I'm a flake. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> no offense taken. Trust me. I scrolled past the thing. It's absolutely my my calendar gremlins uh, kicking in, so I'm afraid I can't put this one on Technomancers. We can at least blame the pandemic because even if you had a reasonable handle on time before said pandemic, the effects of the pandemic have made everyone not be able to remember what day, time, etc. it is. But now, uh, Opti and I were, were, he was just starting to tell us about Gangs of the Undercity and so forth, which, uh, as I understand it, you're involved with as well. 
Yes, uh, not quite as deeply as uh, as Opti and uh, some of the other people on this team, uh, but I've I've gotten a chance to playtest it at, at quite a few phases of its development, and I did most, if not all, of the editing in the rulebook. Aha! Uh, we did have somebody else do some. I don't know. Editing is a weird thing, right? Like there's three different kinds of editing, but yes, you did a you did an awful lot <laughs> of the uh, finding error kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finding the errors, punctuation, making all the things that were supposed to be capitalized consistent, and figure out how that was going to be along the way. Yes, it, it was. It was a. I want to. I want to. We had another guy um, who did a lot of it too, uh, who goes by Hannibal Orion on our on our Discord. But he did, also did a lot of. I don't want to discount his, but before he came on, Cliff had fixed most of the issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my editing was less about making the rules make sense together though i think I, I raised a fair amount of questions as i as i read the things it was more heavy with the technical side of the editing i'm afraid so so yeah i i haven't i haven't been super involved in the development of gangs of the undercity i've been i've been i think one of the major cheerleaders mostly and i've mm-hmm. just sort of stepped in to, to to fill the gaps in some places where some help was needed Cliff was one of the first playtesters, but also I think what Cliff deserves credit for moving forward is that he is one of our core developers for the Subversion RPG that we're hopefully going to be talking a lot more about this this coming year. So, Is there, I mean, look, I think minis are really cool and they look pretty, but I am one of those people who is gifted with hands that are like not conducive to painting tiny things. It's not for everybody. It's one of those things I keep wanting to try and I may soon do it, but you know, I can cover up a standard 28 millimeter miniature with my thumb. Well, there are, there are a lot of shortcuts that can make a miniature look pretty good without necessarily having to have a super steady hand. So you can get a long way with just base coats, a wash and a highlight over brushing. And uh, that can look really nice. I'm sure somebody on your podcast network will would, would love to be able to walk you through mini stuff. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, to, to, to let the cat out of the bag a little bit through various circumstances, I did uh, hook you guys up with Sugi from another podcast on our network called Squad Tactica that they specialize in, in minis and skirmish games. And yeah, we had a great interview with him yesterday. Oh, you did that yesterday? Okay. Uh-huh. He, he's a really nice guy. I, I did a little sit down with him right before I put you guys in contact and yeah, he, he's a really yeah, nice he's super guy. nice, very friendly. Yeah. Very friendly, enthusiastic, uh, asked a lot of great questions. But if you're, but if you're saying that, that you'd rather talk about our upcoming RPG, if that's where you're <laughs> at, I'm, I'm all, I'm all on board to do that as well. <laughs> well. I would be more than happy because, well, I think the stuff that I've seen of gangs of the undercity looks amazing to me. They're, pretty little toys and i just i i don't even know the questions to ask you about a miniatures game so i'm all down to go talk some rpgs because that's ask that's my bag of drinks about RPGs yeah that's fine so to can you give me just obviously like you said you're i don't want to say very early stages but you're still in the early stages with this can you give you know and, and i don't want obviously want to ask you anything that, that you want to hold back for for whatever reason Generally speaking, we're informational anarchists, so we 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 think information wants to be free. So we we, we try not to, we try not to hold anything back. <laughs> so are you saying that you like make an NDA for yourself, sign it, and then intentionally break it? Uh, either that, or we just don't do NDAs. 
<laughs> we we used to have NDAs, and then we were like, you know what? Why are we doing this? Like, if somebody <laughs> wants to say, that, hey, look at listen to what Frank and the Unicorns is doing. Like, can you believe that? Like, I don't think that hurts us at all. <laughs> I think that can only help us. So we believe in what we're doing. So if somebody wants to, you know, chat about it online, like, you know, hey, go nuts. We, we don't care. Uh, but yeah, we would. I would love to talk about it. All right. Well, then uh, I guess, you know, start from the wherever you feel the need to start an elevator pitch or or have at it. Sure. So it is a RPG set in the same universe as Gangs of the Undercity. So it is also cyberpunk fantasy. And our only excuse for that is, you know, we write what we love and we write what we know. So <laughs> we've we've uh, we've all spent a lot of our time doing Shadowrun. and. Um, you know, for a variety of reasons, we thought, you know, there's a number of different D&D type things out there, high fantasy things out there. There's a number of things out there for uh, space RPGs. There's a number of uh, urban fantasy. You know what? There's not a lot of cyberpunk fantasy. So we felt like there's room for at least one more and we could tell some fun stories. So we set it in the same universe as Gangs of the Undercity. But instead of like Shadowrun, instead of the... Um, the magic coming and going in, in ebbs and flows in our world, magic has always been around, right? So it's basically an accelerated fantasy setting instead of, you know, a setting that sort of takes off from our world and just adds magic. And what that ends up being is that you have a bunch of people with ties to uh, the old Babylonian empire, and they have set up a new Babylonian empire called Neo-Babylon, and for good or ill, it has become a cyberpunk fantasy dystopia. That's the overview. But as far as what you're going to be doing, you're going to play the part of an envoy. Uh, and an envoy is somebody who represents a community. Uh, and that's one of the, the innovations, right? So the, the world itself is one innovation, but also the gameplay, sort of like what we were talking about earlier, in that if you play certain dystopian games the setting doesn't handle you overthrowing the dystopia very well we wanted mm -hmm. to intentionally make a game where you could make a difference and so starting at the community level right whatever that looks like if it's just you know a handful of people on a ship or if it's uh your neighborhood or maybe it's your small business or whatever you want to do you will have envoys who go out and try to change things change the world on behalf of your community. And the way that you do that is by sticking close to your your goals and your values and the values of your community. And that's how you kind of move forward in the world instead of gaining experience points or gaining money. I think that's okay. I think that's as, as overview as I can make it. But when I take all the all the things that we love about about cyberpunk and fantasy games and uh, and make those the focus. Yeah, it's, I guess one of the things that sets it apart, I think, from the general cyberpunk mood is that, yes, the dystopia is there, but the focus of the game is is trying to make things better in, in measurable ways. Mm -hmm. And that might not be what everyone's doing. You might, if you're just trying to play a group of people who want to make a bunch of money and be mercs, uh, you can play it that way. But but the way we're looking at setting it up is is to focus more on... You know, how how what your character does affects affects them and the people around them in ways that can be both desired and undesired and or good and bad and uh, how you approach those consequences either alone or as a team the the community based rules are going to be very central to campaign play 
Okay. That sounds really interesting. I guess as as Opti and I were talking about before, even with, with Shadowrun, it can get almost grindy and that it's mission, rinse, repeat, because we need more new yen, we need more more gear, whatever. It sounds like what you guys are going for here is is really it's more a story about affecting change on some level as opposed to the adventures or misadventures of Team XYZ. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, as someone who really, really loves Shadowrun and has played a lot of it over the years, one of the things as a player that I have found somewhat frustrating is that it doesn't really feel like you can really change things or matter to the world uh, beyond maybe your small circle of contacts. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things that we had, we had before you before you got on <laughs> was like exactly that yeah so so this game is is really going to be focused more on the community aspects of it and helping lift your community against the corporate overlords and so forth in in a way that has some impact aside from just for lack of a you know better way to say it burning down the neighborhood AT&T store to protest cell phone towers or something Sure, you might do that, uh, but but also the game is called Subversion because the whole point of it is to act in subversive ways to the people that are bringing your community down uh, or you know standing in the way of, of them. So trying to match your personal goals and your personal values up against the goals and the values of the community that is dear to you is going to be the central struggle of the game. Okay, that, that actually sounds, in a lot of ways, almost something new. You know, most games, and, and you know, like, I'll, I'll be one to say, I'm a big fan of it. I don't know if you're either two of you are familiar with it, of Delta Green, the kind of Call of Cthulhu offshoot. But that is very much a, a thing where, for lack of a better word, you're, you're just trying to plug the dike another time, much in the same way that you're saying, Shadowrun kind of feels a lot of the time. And this sounds like to use that kind of eldritch analogy that you're not just plugging the dike, you're patching the rift. Yes. Part of my issue with a lot of different media, even heroic media, is that at the end of the day, the best you can hope for is to keep status quo, right? So like the problem with Batman and the Joker is that the Joker is out there to mix up status quo no matter what it is. Right. Like even if poison ivy is right, for example, <laughs> about about the dangers of, of hurting the environment, Batman goes in there and says, well, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with poison ivy upsetting the status quo. Right. So the at the end of the day, the comic has to be reset back to status quo in Shadowrun. You can't overthrow a Big Ten corporation because that will upset status quo. And that to us sounds awful. Right. If there's mm -hmm. something wrong with the world, if there's something wrong with the status quo of the world then fix the status quo, change it, right? That's that's the whole idea that, that that we're going for. Yeah, though I will say from the perspective of, say, Delta Green, like on the outside, that is a game about cosmic horror. So I don't have any any problem with, with going into that. I mean, that, that's kind of what you're signing up for. Yeah. No, it is. Right, and that's, and that's any, I I'm not criticizing any game for saying this is the status quo of the universe and you, this is what you're choosing to play. I'm saying I don't want to make that game again, <laughs> right? I want to, I want to make a different game. No, and I think that's that's awesome because that's in some ways a lot of games that are out there even now are all. I mean, they may be fantastically different reskins of the same core concept, but they're still 
in a lot of ways, they're reskins, even if they're using completely different mechanics and a di completely different base story, it's still the exact same struggle just told a little differently. Yeah, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago where whatever you make mechanics for is what people are going to focus on. And if you want people to play a certain game, but you but you don't have any mechanics for it, then players are going to, by and large, ignore that part of the game. So we made a point to say that what you do, like what what your stated values are, what your stated goals are, if you don't try to achieve them, if you don't try to stand by them, there's a mechanical, uh, I won't say penalty, but there's a mechanical effect that happens when you choose to either go with your goals and values uh, or go with the goals and the values of your community or go against those, right? It mechanically matters. And, and yeah, you're right. There's That's something I don't see very often in RP. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea you're coming from. Yeah, I found some interest, interesting and inspiring game mechanics uh, concepts among some some OSR products, particularly Borkborg most recently. I just uh, found that system very, very intriguing and interesting. I haven't read it yet, but the artwork in that game and the design choices are amazing. <laughs> yeah, that book is yeah. something else. <laughs> To be honest, I don't think I really want to play a character in the completely doomed and depressing setting of Morkborg, but as a as a gamer and a game designer, I, I found it a very inspiring product to, to read. Inspiring enough that I've actually created, I'm working on my own uh, hack and slash of Morkborg. They have a, a nice third-party uh, open gaming license arrangement. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm working on my own sort of OSR sci-fi horror game. Well, not so much horror as in, you know, kicking demons asses and taking names kind of game <laughs> yeah, i don't i don't like Morkborg, but i am so damn impressed by it <laughs> yeah, well i think that's that's kind of the thing is it's one of those games where whether or not you want to play it it's just it's inspiring to yeah absolutely just like well done you guys <laughs> like just absolutely made the game they wanted to make like a hundred thousand percent just absolutely standing ovation for execution. Well, that's, you know, I, I heard uh, an interview with the the two individuals behind that, and I can't remember their names right now, but the, the main two guys. And, and they said, yeah, they completely just went, um, well, let's make the game that we want to play. And we'll, we'll try this Kickstarter thing. And then, oh, holy crap. Apparently some other people yeah. want to play this game too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how we found Gangs of the Undercity were like, let's just do this thing we want to do. Oh, I guess some other people want it to. That's excellent. also. I just I think it's it's good and helpful that they opened up the gates, so to speak, to other people to design things using using their system and ideas. I really love the open gaming license, and I really wish absolutely every role playing game producer publisher would just do that. You know, I, I'm seeing it more and more. Off the top of my head, I know most of the big ones now do it. I know Chaosium just released one for the BRP engine. Oh, that's fantastic news. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I, I heard that a couple of weeks ago. You know, Free League has one out for the Mutant Year Zero. You know, Savage Worlds, uh, the new Cortex, although Cortexes, I haven't, I don't know if theirs is officially out yet, but it is officially in the works. They're going to do a program similar to the DMs Guild or the Genesis Foundry, 
that FFG slash Edge does. I don't know the names for all of them, but yeah, the OGL thing is really becoming like, I think a, a lot more publishers are realizing that it gets people to buy their books in addition to all this other stuff. That, and it creates a more open creative environment that allows for more ideas to flourish. Uh, I think, I think you're always better off viewing the people that you would see as competitors instead as peers, people with which you have plenty of room to collaborate and coexist within rather than viewing it as a, the whole industry as this zero sum game of scarcity, which I think for the most part, reality is, is, has shown that, that it is not, that there are plenty of people out there willing to play all kinds of different games no matter how weird or obscure they might seem. I think you're completely right. You know, and you were talking about Mork work. I've heard hints and, and maybe this is even something that, that you're working on. And I just heard about it from a different channel, but I heard hints that there is a quote unquote cyborg hack in the works. <laughs> That's clever. <laughs> you know, I, I saw like a, a bit of cover art or something somewhere, but through my various internet lurking and so forth. I, I saw that somewhere and yeah, I mean, I I'm aware of, of, of some projects that I'm really, really curious to see, but I don't want to, to out people's projects without them saying it's, it's okay. So to speak. Sure. Are you hedging around something that I was talking about? Or are you talking about something else? I, I was talking about something else, but if we're done discussing subversion, and by the way, I, I'm really curious to, to find out more about this. So maybe when it gets uh, a little closer to being a releasable product or, or something, maybe we can get you to come back on and, and sit and have a chat about that. But uh, absolutely, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to steal any subversion thunder here. Just uh, <laughs> we started started getting down the uh, the third party OGL route. It sounded like you were goading me into talking about the thing that I said I, I was also some other side project of mine that is my Mark Borg hack. No, no, by, by all means, as, as long as we've covered uh, subversion sufficiently for now, I did want to give you some time to talk about, you, know, you had mentioned it briefly in, in our conversations leading up to this, that, that you have a project in the works as well. I, I'd love to hear more about that as also. Uh, well, I have to actually get going, so I will leave you with Cliff and say I really appreciate you having me on the show, Steve. Well, uh, thank you very much for, for coming on, Chad. And like I said, we'll we'll see if we can't maybe uh, get you on again at some point when, when Subversion is a little closer to uh, to being a, a public product. And that, that one other thing that we talked about off the air, definitely be interested in that as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Stay safe. So it's, it's now the two of us. But yeah, you know, you had mentioned uh, in, in our talks leading up to trying to set everything up that, that you had a project you were working on as well. I'd love to hear some about that. Sure. Yeah, it's um, well, it's an OSR style sci-fi, I guess, horror uh, dungeon crawler, sort of a rules light, but also a bit, a bit of crunch to it. <laughs> And uh, it's inspired by essentially like classic first person shooters like like Doom. Your characters are expendable soldiers sent into sort of a sci-fi facilities like on Mars or a space station or something to go clear out the demons and zombies or uh, pull off uh, different objectives. And yeah, it's it's a it's a hack and slash of Morkborg. I'm using the Morkborg system. It was inspired by that as well, though it's also fairly heavily adapted and it's a completely different completely different genre of heavy metal it's uh I'm, the the flavor that i'm going for with the gameplay is that 
you should feel like you're going into a soulless meat grinder or you're an expendable soldier who's just going to get horribly killed in some deep, dark sci-fi hole in the universe. But in reality, what the game is actually doing is letting you be a bunch of demon-killing badasses. Fair enough. So so more of a British grindcore as opposed to Nordic death metal. Yeah, I suppose so. Another aspect to it is that is that I'm I'm taking inspiration from uh, some recent computer games that I've played and uh, pulling in something a concept that is I guess could be described as roguelite. So in a roguelite uh, computer game, you're expected to die fairly frequently, but when you do, you get to pick certain things that you you get to improve your character with for your next run often based on what you accomplished previously. So in this game, when your character dies, based on how many different objectives you've achieved and bosses you've killed and that sort of thing, you get to choose additional add-ons for your next character to to sort of tailor them into uh, being in a better starting position than you were with your first character. So it's not quite like starting over and there's some continuity, uh, even though your previous character probably died horribly. And you're just sending another one into the meat grind. <laughs> it sounds in a way then almost like it's it's kind of an RPG with a kind of an intentional, intentionally encouraging a certain element of metagaming. Yes, I suppose. And um, it's also designed to be GMless. So uh, there's there's a few tables you can roll on to resolve certain things, but the rules are simple enough to where, you know, the enemies act fairly predictably and uh, there's a certain amount of random i guess you can call it dungeon generation that determines objectives and the layout of things and the way the map works and movement uh, it's all fairly efficient and um well, my friend uh, carlton who creates the the dice bot exploding dice has actually worked on an adaptation for it that will handle all the uh the room uh, and enemy randomness for you so you don't have to flip back to a couple of tables and roll dice when you move into a room so I'm I'm really excited uh, to see how that goes as he's developing it. It's it's really neat. He's been able to hide things behind uh, uh, spoiler tags uh, within Discord, so the text is blacked out until you click on it to find out what the surprise is. The the loot tables are all built into it, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be real fun. Uh, we've play tested a couple times with it, and the the plans that he's got for Discord bot integration as essentially like a GM assistant type thing for a GMless game is pretty innovative. I say it sounds really cool. And I, I like kind of the idea that you're setting it up and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. It does sound like to a certain point, it's not a game intended for campaign play. It's more of a, Oh, Hey, two of the five people we normally play with didn't show up today. So let's play this. Or, you know, it's a quick pickup game, not, not maybe as, as involved or am I reading what you're saying wrong? It's not a full involved everything in life is covered role-playing game. You're there to do one thing and that's to get through missions that involve probably involve fighting and or sneaking past demons in a sci-fi environment. Yeah. So it's, it's not going to give you the full range of experiences you might have with any full size RPG, uh, but it is designed with some rules for campaign play where you can con- continue your character from, uh, from one mission to another and have advancements and it does encourage some replayability. Uh, one of the uh, things to mo- move towards is, is unlocking a specialization in one of the MOSs, which is what I call the character classes. That gives you better options when you make a new character with that MOS. But yeah, it's definitely meant to be sort of a jump in and play it. It takes five minutes or less to make a character probably the first time, even less afterwards. Well, more when you have your 
advancements to spend in between, I suppose. But even then, maybe not more than 10 minutes. And uh, the actual missions, if you kind of already know the rules and you're not learning them as you go, each mission involving several different sections of dungeons shouldn't take you more than an hour or two at the most. No, that sounds really, really cool. And I really like the games that are starting to come out now, designed kind of along this quick get them down on the table and let's get playing as opposed to and and i covered this some uh before you were able to join us but you know my background in gaming was actually the the very first game i ever played was west end game star wars but then the game that that really hooked me on rpgs was rifts okay you aren't setting rifts down on the table and starting playing with anyone in less than an hour and a half and that's if they all know the game already <laughs> no but it does have some lovely tables Yes, it does. And some of them have provided some incredible memories. <laughs> there's there's definitely some some things that happen from memorable dice rolls in role-playing games. It's it's one of the things that brings you back. You just don't know what's going to happen with every session. Yeah, no, that's the thing that I love about role-playing games too. You know, is that you know, there are so many things that just happen because of a weird roll of the dice or someone's reaction to someone else that you just can't get that experience from from a computer game. Yeah, as I was saying, though, I really like the concept that you're going for with this game and that it's something designed to be lightweight, fun, easy to set up, but but still with a process of being more than just a shoot 'em up Yeah, I was a little bit worried uh, with this on paper that it would just be, hey, move into a room, fight the bad guys, loot the stuff, then move to the next room and fight the bad guys and do the stuff. But in playtesting, I found that we were able to do multiple different approaches to victory. And there's a lot of sneaking around and thinking about things tactically and sort of planning out, all right, how are we going to pull off this objective? We know there's a bunch of demons in that room that we don't really have the bullets to deal with right now. (laughs) And it it was really tense. We already have dungeon. We already have Dungeons and Dragons for that other thing. Yeah, it felt like it it scratched the the dungeon crawl itch for me too. Without without getting into the minutia of like, all right, I'm moving into this five foot square and poking it with a pole to see if there's a trap there. And it's 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 a lot more fast and loose than that rule wise. But I think with enough crunch that it still satisfies that feeling like, well, I'm not just making things up as I go along and and uh, narrating my, my way through the dungeon without the risk, it still felt like at every at any time our characters could be crushed horribly. And yet we survived the mission. <laughs> Even better, right? Now, is this going to be coming out as part of Fragging Unicorns, or is this something you're just going to, to do independently? You know, I haven't had that conversation with Opti about that, but um, I think I'll probably do this just on my own, mm-hmm. uh, just post it on, on itch.io and just see where that goes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to go with it, though, because I'm going to be working with Carlton to do some sort of bot integration with it. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know if this is just going to be a little thing that I'll finish and just toss out and see what happens with it. Or if, if it starts to gain some traction and people start playing it and using the Discord bot, we roll with it more and, and create some more things for it down the road. Mm-hmm. Maybe a Kickstarter will happen, and maybe not. I'm not that far in in, the, in that that side of the process. And to be honest, like all of those questions are the least fun for me. I, I like coming up with the game design and, and trying to make it work and and playing it with people. <laughs> oh, I, I get that completely. You know, I've I've dabbled with different things here and there, and like you said, it's like the the fun part is building it and doing it, and then well, oh yeah, how do I get it to other people? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm, and I'm still at the point where, like, every time I place test it, I get some really good ideas to make it better, 
And I want to get to the point where I playtest it maybe two or three times in a row with only a few little ideas coming up. And then I think maybe it'll be about done baking, roughly, for, for the first edition. <laughs> well, that seems fair. Uh, for now, though, yeah, I've got a Discord server uh, where I invite people who are interested in checking it out and playtesting. Uh, I've got a pinned post with the, the recent version of the document on there. The dice roller's got the dungeon generator built into it, and it's all ready to go. So if you're interested, I can invite you in there. And um, if anyone who hears this is interested, uh, just reach out to me somehow, and I'm willing to pull you in. I'm not, I'm not doing like a general, here's a post out on the internet to join it yet it's more of a mm -hmm. individual invite sort of thing at this point it will be finished and put out to the general public in some form no okay no that sounds cool yeah i'll definitely come check it out yeah and if you just want to wait for the finished product and don't want the early access access experience uh i think you know first quarter 21 2021 is a is a reasonable expectation of something cool well yeah i mean hey like i said i'll, I'll gladly come take a look i can't guarantee you how much time i have free to dedicate to anything so uh, in any case, as you were alluding to there, what sort of, where can people find you if they're interested in, in be it your podcast or any of your other stuff? Is there websites? Sure. I'll start with go to YouTube and search up Shadowcasters Network. That's a YouTube channel of the, the network that I'm a part of. We do a weekly show where we discuss a lot of things about tabletop, uh, different game design topics, culture-related things, news items. It's sort of a tabletop variety talk show, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Opti's on there as well. Also joined by Bobby Frankenberger and um, Oz, who started joining the Anarchy. We always have great conversations. Uh, we snip them up into videos that we put out on YouTube, and we're in the process of making an audio podcast. But it's a lot of fun to catch the show live if you can make it. And that channel is also where I do a variety of other actual plays. I currently have a, one that's a MechWarrior Destiny every Tuesday night. Uh, so as of the recording, I have one planned for this evening. It will be episode five out of, we're probably going to do eight of them as a limited run season. And uh, okay. any money raised with the super chats there, we're donating to World Builders and also just using it to raise awareness of the charity world builders uh so i'll throw out a plug for that worldbuilders.org check that out donate money to them if you find it compelling which which i do excellent and uh other than that the arcology podcast is sort of my main flagship podcast it's all about shadow run long-running actual play campaigns we talk about fifth edition the new sixth world edition uh, anarchy which is probably my favorite edition I also have a long-running actual play uh, that's Earthdawn called Legends of Earthdawn, where we have a great cast there, including Opti. He, we, we get along and do a lot of things together. But also on that show as one of the players is uh, Josh Harrison, who's the line developer of the game Earthdawn, which is he's been a real, real joy to play with. So Legends of Earthdawn. I, I actually have heard of Earthdawn. Yeah, it's the fantasy setting that took place in the ages before Shadowrun. Yeah, we, we, we did cover that a little bit. I, I was aware, and I actually, I believe, telling Opti before, I believe I did make an Earthdawn character at one point in about 1996, but I never got to play it. Yeah, it was for a long time one of those, one of those white whale games for me. Like, I, I could never get a campaign running. 
that would that would stick or get people to play it with me or run it for me for more than a session or two here and there. And I essentially bumped into Josh Harrison at, at Gen Con a couple of years in a row. And I guess he was, he's really nice. And we got along chatting a couple of times and uh, I was sort of there as a podcaster and just threw out, hey, would you like to do an Earth Dawn actual play with me? And he did. And so... So I get to play Earthdawn at least once a month now. <laughs> uh, that's cool, though. That's cool. Because we're actually talking about expanding into some actual plays here in the near future. But it's like anything else, you know? It's it's time and scheduling and everything else just makes everything... I hear you. Yeah. The scheduling is the hardest part. Yeah, it is. But yeah, otherwise, uh, I'm in Shadowrun Origins. That's a Shadowrun actual play that Opti does as part of the new Anarchist podcast. Uh, that's been a fun campaign. We're playing through all the classic uh, early runs of the Shadowrun era, the old published ones like like Harlequin, and uh, now all the names are escaping my brain. Uh, Bottled Demon, quite a few uh, other just early like first and second edition runs at this point in the, in the 2050s era. I would say the, the only Shadowrun adventure name that I know, and I only know this because I heard Daryl Mott mention it once, is Food Fight. But I don't even know exactly what it refers to. <laughs> uh, food Fight is like the classic, uh, let's let's demo the game and learn the basic mechanics. Uh, so you're, you're, the setting is that you're in a stuffer shack, like a convenience store, basically, uh, where a bunch of gangers show up and start harassing somebody and, and there's a shootout. And there's extra tables for like what what kinds of strange products you explode when you miss things like <laughs> fizzy pink meat products or neon green krill chips or something. Oh it's just, my gosh! It, it's memorable because of the wackiness that happens in that. But it's essentially just a straight up you fight some goons in in a in a convenience store and get to see how the rules work before you start getting into a real run. Uh, there's a little bit more of a setup and story to it that that you could. Uh, draw on with but that's that's really what it's all about you know what i've said this various places before Shadowrun is a game that i would very very happily sit down and play and have a blast with i don't know if at this point i personally have the time needed to learn to run it unfortunately at least not in its regular version it sounds like anarchy might be be something i could could get a hold of and, and, and get to, but because, you know, I'm an adult now, not a college student or whatever, that that picking up full-blown Shadowrun and learning it as, as much as I would have fun with it because I have so many other interests just isn't practical for me. Not, you know, and I don't mean that to say in any way that it's not a wonderful game. Honestly, I think that that's part of why the Arcology podcast uh, gained so much of its initial popularity is because we sort of talk about how, you know, sort of help present uh, how to go about approaching this very, uh, very rules crunchy game, but also it's it's gaming in a style that is so different than most others. You know, you're not, you, you don't usually have the, the straightforward, hey, I do this and go fight that bad guy and get the treasure and, and save the day. There's double crosses and political machinations in the background and uh, various complex layers of reality that that the characters are interacting and working with. You know, the physical space, the matrix, astral space, dealing with the spirits and car chases and things. It's um, it's it it can be a lot to approach. Uh, and the only reason I do it so I don't want to say easily because it's uh it's it's never quite exactly easy. But I guess the only reason I find it quite so accessible is because I've just been immersing myself in it for years. <laughs> well, so so yeah, I get that. Exactly. That that's kind of exactly what I was saying. It's it's not that 
I don't want to. It's it's just simply that if if you've got the background where you you've been immersed in it over time, you've absorbed all this, and so when it went from fifth to sixth edition, you went in and went, okay, this is different, this is different, this is different, this is different, but it's all still built on all the lore that I've gotten to know over the last twenty years or or however long you've been into the game, and so you had to learn some changes, but not the whole thing, where for someone in a similar place in life to come in and learn the whole thing, it would be quite daunting. Yeah. And to that, I would say, if you do decide you want to dip your toes in and, and try out full regular, whatever the current edition of Shadowrun is, just maybe try out the main rule book and try not to try not to worry about all that other stuff that's there for you to discover and digest and make use of at a later time when, or if you're ready to do it. But it's, it's, you know, the thing about role-playing games is, they're all about your own experience and group. So don't worry so much about all that. Deal with the core rulebook for now. And um, there, there's plenty in there to digest and work with. And uh, and just kind of find a way to make it your own. And, and not, not worry so much about uh, all that all that lore. It's not it's not super important. I mean, it, it's there's a lot of fun detail there. And it can be very enriching. But when it comes to the point where it feels like it's a drag on on someone who's coming to it new kick it to the curb is, is what I, is what I think is the best thing to do. Well, or maybe listen to the new anarchist podcast because he uh, presents it in a way that's uh, in character and, and a lot of fun. Yeah. No, I, I have listened to his work a little bit, not, not probably as many of his episodes as I, as I did yours, but uh, no, like I said, I, it's a game in a lot of ways. I really wish I had gotten some time with it earlier in, in life when, when I had more time to dedicate to it, because it feels like a game that would benefit greatly from immersing yourself more. It's one of my life's great loves. So, <laughs> Oh, and isn't that what gaming's all about, right? Yeah. Role-playing games is one of my key interests in life. And Shadowrun has been central to that for almost as long as I can remember them. I did get into RPGs before Shadowrun, but but not really to the extent until Shadowrun came into my life. So <laughs> I actually met my wife through our sh- our gaming group, and that was a Shadowrun campaign at the time. So there's layers of it that go beyond just, just being a game. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So uh, it sounds like we're, we're pretty much wrapped up then. Yeah, I've just been rambling uh, while you've been letting me go. So <laughs> I'll tell you a secret. That's what this whole podcast is. <laughs> we just ramble and people actually listen to us i you know i don't understand but that's my general uh interview strategy as well when i have people on us so sometimes people ask me for detailed list of questions like oh crap i have to try to anticipate something and put it down ahead of time it's like it's like designing an adventure you don't know what the, heck the players are going to do all you can really come up with is a starting point and a couple of villains and maybe a, a, a setting or two you want to have it happen in but you know, chances are they're going to go in a completely different direction even than what you anticipate in that. Uh, exactly. That's what I tell people all the time. I said, get a couple of bullet points and be ready to put them in a different gun. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if I could trouble you to do one more thing, if you'd like to do it, I'd appreciate it. But uh, if you don't, it's fine. We do a little thing at the end of each show where we do what we call game of the week. And, and all this really is, is where we just go, be it on drive through or search the memory banks for some oddball, weird, independent, whatever, less known game that we'd like to get on the table and play and just give a quick rundown of it. So if you'd like to participate, like I said, I'd I'd love to have you play what we call game of the week. And if not, that's cool too. 
Sure, I, I have not prepared for this. <laughs> Game of the week. Game of the week. But where I was actually going to go today was Stars Without Numbers. I have heard of that, but I don't think I know much of anything about it. Well, I, I don't know a ton about it myself, but it looks interesting because it's set, oh, some 2,100 years in the future. OSR sci-fi game, but it has all kinds of, you know, psionics, magic. It, it looks like, you know, if you want to play a hard sci-fi game without being kind of held to existing lore in, in the context of, say, a movie or a book series, where, so to speak, here's some, go have some fun with sci-fi, but not have to worry about getting all the details right. It, it looks really cool. And they actually also have a free version of it, which which does strip out some of the features of it. Yeah, I mean, it looks, says, you know, t- to read the little blurb, it says the gear is 3,200 and mankind's empire lies in ashes. The jump gates fell 600 years ago, severing the links between the myriad worlds, myriad worlds of the human diaspora. Now the long isolation of silence falls away as men and women return to the skies above their scattered worlds. Will you be among them once more? You know, so it, it like I said, it sounds like a kind of a, a grim sci-fi, but not, you know, I don't know. It just, it, like I said, looks interesting. I've heard about it, but I've, I've never really looked into it. Yeah, it looks really interesting to me. There, there's a free version, a uh, PDF you can share with your friends. Let's see, it's got AIs, mechs, society creation to customize a world or have with its own culture and history, with conflicts and fault lines to engage your heroes. Wow, this this looks right up my alley. Um, I'm going to add this to my wish list <laughs> and check out the free version first. But uh, th- th- yeah, this this looks intriguing. I'm I'm actually pretty excited about it. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of like the whole point of of the segment, really, is is to exactly go. Oh, I didn't know about that. So I'm going to throw you a curveball on my turn if if we're ready for that. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to go instead on drive through. I'm going to go on itch.io, okay. which is a, sort of this indie game creators resource community. Mm-hmm. There's video games on there, but also a lot of indie tabletop developers will create things on there. You can find a lot of things for free or also for inexpensive. They'll run bundles and game jams. And mm-hmm. it's quite it's quite the rabbit hole of weirdness uh, and also really innovative and useful stuff. Um, so what I'm going to do, instead of actually pointing to a game product, I'm going to draw attention to a particular site, an individual or developer on there called Wataboo. And for your listeners, I will spell that out, W-A-T-A-B-O-U. So if you spell that, go to Wataboo, W-A-T-A-B-O-U dot itch, I-T-C-H dot I-O. That should pull their site right up. And uh, they've got a bunch of different map or dungeon generator tools that are free, many of which run in browser. You can generate a dungeon map, a medieval fantasy city. Uh, You can quickly tweak different aspects of these to customize the map in ways that you like without having to necessarily draw out where exactly the streets or buildings go. There's a village generator with a different art style. Perilous Shores is sort of a fantasy region map generator. There, there's so many really cool, useful tools for world building. If you're, um, if you're looking, they seem to be a bit more fantasy oriented, but you could also use them for other genres as well. I imagine you might have to imagine the buildings as more sci-fi looking than they appear, but <laughs> oh, it looks cool. I, I was just scanning the page because I, I am familiar with itch, but uh, not this particular creator. This, this does looks like some, some really neat stuff. 
Yeah, so so that will be my my submission for for this. If, if that sounds wonderful, I guess then really just need to say thank you for for taking the time to come on and chat with us. You know, unfortunately, uh, you you missed most of the shadow run discussion, which was what we <laughs> had originally been going to talk about. But <laughs> we still had some. Well, you know, Opti and I had a had a good round about that. And yeah, it's all right. Opti knows his shadow runs, so so I think yes. we're in good hands. Yeah, I was just gonna say thanks so much for uh, having me on. It was a lot of fun and. Um, yeah, I had a great time talking with you. Likewise. Thank you for, for t- spending the time to come on with us. All right, folks, there you have it. A little bit of Shadowrun, a little bit of Gangs of the Undercity, a little bit of Subversion, a little bit of some other stuff. And like I mentioned in the intro, I'm going to put a link to the interview that these gentlemen did with Squad Tactica, where they talk a lot more about Gangs of the Undercity. I'm going to put the link for that episode in the show notes, along with links to all their podcasts, so on and so forth. So uh, with that, be kind and go play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. for the cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.